Welcome to another episode of the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. Please enjoy today's episode. So Mark, th there's clearly a difference in opinion about anticoagulation management after bioprosthetic AVR. Because wh what do you do? Do you How long do you keep patients on, on warfarin? Or do you put them on warfarin? Do you? So I, I personally prefer to put them on uh, warfarin for three months right. and then continue the aspirin for uh, baby aspirin forever. So that is my preference. The other thing I think is interesting too is some of the variations that they notice between the East Coast and the West Coast. And so I practice on both coasts. And I do think that on the East Coast, and, the, and cer certainly the South was demonstrated by the paper, that there are a lot of regional variations as well. And I and I have to admit, I was I did notice that the incidence of giving uh, Coumadin um, on the East Coast uh, seemed to be less so than the West Coast just by observation. Any any explanation for that that, that difference, Mark? I think the event rate for thromboembolic events is, is low. And so I don't think people appreciated necessarily the need for a vitamin K for a lot of patients. Also that here, I think for the younger patients, um, there's a little, still a, more of a precedent for mechanical valve. And so that the patients that are getting mechanical tissue valves here is a little older patients than what I saw on the West Coast. So I think your cutoff for age will influence uh, that as well. Yeah, and maybe Ketrin, could it also be the INR management is more strict in certain or easier to manage in certain regions compared to other regions? Yeah, I mean, so I'm in the South, Texas, obviously. We're more rural, say, than Boston or, or um, so uh, we find it harder for patients to go get labs drawn. You know, they're, some of them are out, you know, hours from lab draws. So I would think it would be less compliant in the South compared to more concentrated populations. But also, you know, if I'm doing a younger person and putting in a bioprosthetic valve and not a mechanical valve, I feel like part of that reason is probably because we're concerned about compliance. For me, if you're getting a tissue valve, the younger you are, probably the more worried we are about anticoagulating you in general. Right. And are there any other options than Katrine? So there's new medication. So the, let's say the NOAX, it's not that new anymore, but uh, is that an option as well for some patients where INR management might be more difficult? Yeah, I mean, that's not a, in the guidelines, but I would say if the patients say they're already on Eliquis for AFib, uh, we generally don't convert them to warfarin. We'll just keep them on their, their NOAC. And then even if, say, they have post-op AFib and we have a, you know, a code that we can get them covered for the Eliquis, we will do that if that's easier for that patient. Um, you know, the problem is, is if it's just a valve without any diagnosis of another problem, that generally insurance will not, not cover the warfarin. Right. Yeah. Mark, on the East Coast, uh, if you have an 80-year-old patient that is finds it difficult to do the INR management, do you have any other options for, for that patient in terms of a NOAC? So, so I would probably put them on aspirin only. Again, if they were on a DOAC, I would probably put them on, on that as, as well. And another thing I was thinking about that is not really included in the paper, but um, I think we're all influenced by our involvement in the TAVR world. And I think a lot of the information that we're sharing is, is really some experience that's come from the TAVR experience, and that may influence a surgeon's trends as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Juan, do you have any idea how in your hospital that has influenced anticoagulation management? The, the fact that the valve thrombosis, you know, papers that were published after TAVR, did that influence the treatment in your hospital? Yeah, of, yeah, of course. I just want to make a point about the use of NOACs. Uh, it makes sense, but there's no demonstration of their benefits in terms of prophylaxis of but you know, valve thrombosis. I mean, the studies are, I mean, they're anecdotal evidence, but the, the randomized studies have been controversial in terms of their benefit. Yeah. So, so you, you highlight the point of studies. 
do you think that the study on anticoagulation management after bioprosthetic AVR, I guess that everybody here on the panel would say, yeah, that would be great, you know, to, to finally make a randomized study, whether you need to anticoagulate for three months with warfarin and then, and then baby aspirin. But do you think it will ever be feasible to do a study like that? I, I think that there will be more the rate of uh, isolated AVRs in, in, in our country and, and in the world, they are decreasing because of the advent of uh, the increases of power. So I think that the, it will be easier to define the anticoagulation protocol in, in the tower population than in the, in the surgical population just because of the, uh, of the numbers. The difference in the outcomes and, and the endpoints will be relatively small and you're going to need really large populations followed by a significant number of years in order to demonstrate any difference. So it will be very difficult to implement a, a trial with this with surgical bioprosthesis alone. It will be probably a, better to study a, the, the TAVR bioprosthesis. Yeah. So the NOAC studies, Catherine, you are specialized also in TAVR. The NOAC studies in TAVR has not been very successful. Yeah, so Galileo um, kind of was the big one, which was uh, ribaroxaban versus DAPT, and that was stopped early because of an increased risk of bleeding. And then um, Pioneer was DAPT versus just aspirin. And we had been doing DAPT for all of our TAVR valves. Surprisingly, you know, the bleeding risk outweighed the benefit um, so that we now just do aspirin only on our TAVR valves. Although I think that is a little harder to translate to the surgical valve population because those are definitely on average much older um, uh, patients with a higher bleeding risk. But but currently the TAVR literature supports just aspirin after a TAVR, but that is right. a, a, admittedly a much average older population. Would you like to see a study in the surgical valve world that could help us, you know, guide patients whether, what kind of anticoagulation they should take after surgical AVR? Yeah, I mean, I would love love to see that. Obviously, <laughs> I agree with Dr. It's a numbers game and, you know, Warfarin, you know, who would fund that trial? I mean, I do think now that TAVR is kind of taking over the upper age range that what we're going to put in the younger patients in their position is very important. So I see it as more like mechanical versus tissue versus ROS. I'm a big ROS proponent. Um, I think if you tied all those three together for maybe a, a valve choice in younger patients, looking at overall, you know, anticoagulation with mechanical versus ROS versus SAVR, that would be a very interesting study. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Funding, funding is a challenge here, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Mark, we already touched a little bit on that certain patient population may benefit more from anticoagulation than other ones. So can you help us to identify which patients besides their surgical AVR may benefit from anticoagulation more than others? So more aggressive, pay more attention to it, et cetera. I, I, I personally think that the younger patient that we're putting a bioprosthetic valve in warrants that extra care with the two-minute anticoagulation. And so I really think that if you have a 50, 60, 70 year old patient that I would always consider anticoagulation and then look to see if there's contraindications to using the medication. And, and if a patient gets a bypass graft at the same time as the surgical AVR, does that influence your decision? Then you have to decide whether you think the bypass part of the operation and how it weighs in comparison to the aortic valve contribution and then decide which strategy you would like to apply. Yeah, because it's, uh, of course, not infrequent that the patient also needs a cabbage at the same time of yeah. the AVR. Yeah, I think if you have bad targets and you have a routine AVR, then I think I'd favor a strategy that 
would promote more antiplatelet components. Yeah. If I have pretty good targets and the heart's in good shape, then I would favor uh, more of a Coumadin strategy. Right. Juan? So for the combined cabbage um, AVR, we routinely put the patients on uh, Coumadin and Plavix. Right. Coumadin and but, Plavix even. Yes. Yeah. For how long? For six months. And then we transition to, to aspirin. Yeah. Pretty aggressive to, to keep the graphs open. Yeah. So maybe that comes to the, also to the point that, uh, which is also not infrequent, Catherine, is that if you do a PCI, you have a, a drug-eluting stand there, and then let's say a patient needs um, surgical AVR three months later after the stent has been placed. Any special recommendation that you can give here? Well, so that's a good question. So there's some data if you look at, there's nothing specific for that. When I looked this up, there's you know a good study that looks at um, people with PCI and AFib. And so I pretty much follow that. So the I, I believe they recommend keeping the Plavix and adding NOAC and then dropping aspirins. There's not a specific surgical study that shows up, but I, I kind of mimic that for when I have a, a recent stent or a cabbage and a, a valve as well. Right. And, and so what do you do the day before surgery or the, the couple of days before surgery. Yep. Yeah, if it's a, you know, a, a drug eluting scent, one of the newer ones, uh, like an Onyx or something, then I'm comfortable stopping Plavix if it's been a month. If it's an right. older scent, I'd, I'd wait three months and then do the surgery. If it's, we do some staged operations where I'll do a mini AVR and they'll get like a, a distal OM stent or something, depending on how urgent it is. I don't mind operating on Plavix, to be honest with you. I will do a mini AVR on Plavix right. pretty yeah. without hesitation. And Mark, the question is always comes up is, uh, when do you start warfarin after surgery? How aggressive are you? I actually started usually the first day or two uh, because it takes a few days for it to become therapeutic. And I prefer uh, a more gradual um, initiation of Plavix. And I think if you start early at lower doses, I feel that's a, a safer strategy. But I, I think that may be a personal preference. Right. And I know, of course, in the United States, you know, patients want to go home as fast as possible and uh, also for financial reasons as well. But if the INR is not between the 1.8 that Catherine just mentioned and maybe 2.5, would you keep them in hospital or once you have started, you would already send them home or would you wait until they have the right INR? I don't think we have the privilege to keep patients in the hospital for INR management in uh, 2023. But I think it's important that we do have close monitoring as an outpatient. And um, the team spends a lot of time trying to find Coumadin clinics uh, for these patients and tight monitoring because it has risks, uh, particularly um, in the first couple of weeks after surgery. Right. Yeah, so that's the difference. I mean, I can tell you in the Netherlands, we, we could keep them. We could keep them in the hospital until the RNR is in, in, in range. Yeah, but that's a luxury. <laughs> I understand. Uh, yeah, we don't, we, don't breathe, we don't breathe them So with the heparin. So there's really no reason to be in the hospital as long as we, can, we have a system to follow up the INR uh, as an outpatient. Um, there's really no reason to keep them in the hospital. Right. And, and Juan, if, is there a difference in uh, how you manage uh, bioprosthetic valves in the aortic versus the mitral position, particularly bioprosthetic heart valves? Is it the same? Is it different? So most of the time, I mean, in general, the bioprosthesis in the in the mitral position, in the immediate postoperative period, we put them on IV heparin until the cumin is therapeutic. And that's the major difference. And then in terms of the length of the uh, uh, anticoagulation with cumin in, uh, in the postoperative period, in the absence of atrial fibrillation or low ejection fraction or previous thromboembolic uh, phenomenon, is also six months, at, the, at least in our practice. Right. Catherine, any different approach to the mitral valve versus the aortic valve? Yeah, 
I would say we're much more aggressive with the mitral valve. So we're much closer to 100%. Uh, you know, we find reasons for the aortic valve why we don't do it here and there. But for the mitral, it's it's mandatory. We generally don't bridge with heparin unless it really takes a long time uh, to come up. And, and we do go six months instead of three months. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.